where I wanted to get started was for you. I know you get, you get asked a lot of questions about a lot of different things and just kind of what you could say about the challenges of being a commissioner in today's world are, in your opinion. Well, I think the challenges of being a commissioner, first of all, are, are, are always about building consensus because, uh, and particularly the larger your league is. You know, we've gone from a nine-member league to 12 to, to now 15, yeah. and uh, and it's been terrific, and it, it gives us all kinds of opportunities that we did not have as a nine-member league or even a 12-member league and, and puts us in a position of strength. Uh, but it also is that many more people that you need to bring together because one of the keys to being a great conference is the ability to sit in a conference room and have the leadership from each of, in our case, 15 schools uh, make decisions that are in the best interest of the whole not necessarily just in the best interest of one or two institutions and uh, our league has had a uh, tremendous culture in my opinion of, of, of having trust in each other and, and an ability to to make decisions that are in the best interest of, uh, of the whole and uh, you know that's continued fortunately but uh, but I think the consensus building is the is the biggest challenge and uh, and there and the other parts of it I think are adjusting uh, and understanding that that the world changes and uh, uh, while you don't want to change your 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 principles, so to speak, and and your priorities and and what you're fundamentally about, yeah. uh, I think you need to maintain those principles, but at the same time uh, adjust to a changing world, whether it be social media or uh, technological aspects of it, the change in the television market, uh, uh, all of those things come come into play. When you look at, like you said, uh, wanting to look for the consensus and, and to have all 15 schools feel like they're a part of something, Tobacco Road and you know Charlotte area as well as you know Greensboro and whatnot, to have the ACC tournament there, it, it works for the Clemsons and the NC States and you know Virginia Techs of Virginia and North Carolina and Duke and so on and so forth. But to have it in Brooklyn, you look at some of the schools you brought in over the last few years where it helps Pittsburgh, it helps Syracuse, Louisville, Notre Dame and whatnot. You know that you're not going to be here in you know the foreseeable future. Just what you could say about spending a couple of years in Brooklyn, what that did for the teams you brought in, and if you sit down with the 15 schools and look at schools like Syracuse and Pittsburgh and, and BC and so on and so forth, and say to them, we would like to come back to the Northeast and give opportunities in the future for the tournament. Well, I, first of all, I, I think the rotation our tournament has had over the last. Uh, four or five years has been a very very good one that has served our conference well uh, where we've been we were in North Carolina then Washington then here in New York for, for two years yeah. uh, and then we'll be back in North Carolina for two years and uh, I've been really pleased with that rotation I, I and I, I, I think we'll probably uh, while it's premature to, to say so based on the early discussions that we've had uh, of extending the rotation. I, I, I suspect what we announce going forward will be something similar. Uh, 
as we move along because uh, it, it, we've had a great experience here in New York. I think it's been tremendous for all of our schools, yeah. uh, actually. Yeah. And uh, we need to be here, and, and we'll need to be here in the future. And, and, I, and I would fully expect us to. Uh, I also think we need to pay attention to the uh, you know, where the roots of the league began and, and, and uh, where the tournament became great, which was in the state of North Carolina. Uh, but that North Carolina, Washington, New York uh, rotation has been very, very good to us. Uh, so we'll see what we do in the future, but I, I would suspect it would be something similar uh, to what we've done in our most recent uh, rotation and, and that we're in the middle of where we go back to North Carolina the last two years. I, I sort of uh, uh, liken it to uh, the catchphrase of respect the past and, and embrace the future. And what I mean by that is that uh, you know, with our 15 schools, uh, you, you obviously have a lot of the schools that uh, formed the Atlantic Coast Conference and have never been in any other conference but the Atlantic Coast Conference. And there's great history and tradition there and, and a tremendous tournament that was built over a long period of time and has been a great one for a long time that had most of its history in North Carolina. And then you've got some tremendous programs uh, that have come out of the Big East that are now part of the Atlantic Coast Conference. And that tradition in history, tournament-wise, has been in New York. Yeah. And it's a great, it's a great thing. I mean, you know, I, don't, I think it's fair to say that for years, uh, the two best conferences in college basketball and the two best conference tournaments in college basketball were the ACCs and the Big East. And uh, and now a lot of us are together in the ACC. Yeah. So I think we need to respect both traditions and histories there. And then in terms of embracing the future, we're 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 a different league now. We're we're 15. Yeah. We go, you know, from uh, Boston to Miami, the entire Eastern Seaboard. Uh, and we need to recognize that as well, and take advantage of the opportunities that that, that gives us, because it's it's a gives us tremendous strength and, and a lot of opportunities that that the ACC never had before as a nine-member league, uh, and, and nor did the members of the Big East, uh, uh, because it was more regional. So, uh, you know, I think we've got got a great thing going, and 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 I would I would see us keeping it going. And when you look at, you know, where you're at, you'll be 2019 in Charlotte, 2020 back in Greensboro. How, when you said you're in these current discussions, how many years are you trying to plan out? When you look at this D.C., New York, Carolina discussion, are you trying to kind of sit down and say, let's plan out the next six years or the next ten years? How, how are you looking at things right now? I don't think it'll be as far out as, as we've done sometimes in the past. There was a time not too long ago where we actually did a ten-year rotation. Yeah. Uh, we won't do that. And, uh, you know, we may try to look at things where we're staying maybe five years out. So, you know, we've got we've got two left after this. I would see us maybe adding two, maybe adding three. I don't think it'll be any more than that this spring. Yeah. And, and then, <clears throat> you know, after another year or two, then we look at it again. And, and, and tack on to the back end of things when we've got several left. Yeah. So sort of keeping it in that five-year range is probably what we'll do.
And when you look at, you know, at the conference itself, with everything that's going on when I had spoken with you just a few minutes ago about the challenges of being a commissioner right now with everything, be it coming out with Miami, North Carolina, Louisville, Duke, Syracuse, so on and so forth, more than 20 schools named with the FBI probe and that are inside, the majority of them inside of the Power Five. Just how you tackle that and how you handle that, because the FBI has to do their job, the NCAA has to do their job, but you're the guy that's going up having to answer questions and people want to know what your thoughts are and how you're going to handle it in the future. Just how you tackle that, because we don't see the days that you spend and the nights that you spend in your office sitting at the desk trying to figure out how you're going to tackle something. So just what you can say about the background of it all and, and how you try to present this conference moving forward knowing that people have questions. Well, you know, that, that's an important part part of it, without question, Dan, and it's, it's a, a part of it where you're where you need to work with, um, obviously, others in similar positions uh, of leadership at, at the other conferences and because we, we, we have to do this together. Uh, and we also need to be working with uh, the people that are at the grassroots level in college basketball, for instance, in, in USA basketball. Uh, the things that happen before these players even get to to us at, yeah. at the collegiate level. And then those beyond the collegiate level in the NBA and, and uh, the NBA Players Association that impact us as well. So we're not only impacted by our own rules and, and uh, the things we pass from the legislative standpoint and the concepts we put forward were affected by uh, the things that are done before they get to us and the things that are uh, done <laughs> after they leave us. Uh, and, and I don't think we can continue to operate as silos. Uh, you know, there's got to be a better connectedness there, and there's a lot of effort that goes into that. But. Uh, the thing you don't want is, you know, anytime you hear an FBI investigation connected to college basketball, that's exactly what you do not want to hear. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously there's some systemic things in college basketball that need to be changed. Uh, I think we need to look at that very, very carefully. Uh, you don't want to have just a knee-jerk rea reaction that you don't understand the unintended consequences of the changes that you make. But obviously there need to be some changes, uh, both changes that we can control and some changes we can't control, but, we, but hopefully we can influence to make the whole uh, you know, period of time from when a young person is, is just beginning to be a quality player yeah. you know, at the grassroots level to when that person enters the NBA and, and, uh, and, and plays on a professional level. Uh, so a lot, a lot goes into that as well, and hopefully, yeah, I, I think this is an opportunity for us in college basketball to, uh, to figure out what changes can be made that that makes the world uh, a, a better place for, first of all, for the for the young men that are playing the game, and uh, and, and then for the the whole global sense of, of the game itself. Yeah. And I think we've made some progress with that. I think there are a lot of things that are being discussed right now, not necessarily publicly. You can't necessarily solve all this publicly. A lot of people have opinions on, on what to do. Uh, but the real hard work, I think, gets done behind the scenes and, and uh, out of the bright lights. And, but hopefully 
when that time comes, the spring, summer, so forth, there'll be some concepts <clears throat> that come forward that can can make us all better. When you look at changes that need to be made, what are some of the things that come to mind? I know you've spoken about Adam Silver and, and the one and done rule and kind of his take on it, your thoughts on it, how there's some parallels there. What are some of the changes that are on your mind to say some are in some are in your control, some are not, but hopefully you can influence them. What are some of those things? Well, the one that's not in our control is the one and done. I, I think we're in the worst place we could be in in college athletics um, with the NBA's one and done rule. Uh, I'd much rather see something like the baseball rule or the, or the football rule or even the hockey rule uh, where a player can go out of high school and go professionally. Uh, but if they, they don't, they, they go to college, then, you know, they, they wait three years. Uh, it, could even, it could be two years, but one year is the worst. That, I'd rather not have any. I, I just let them go out of high school uh, because I think that forces some kids into the collegiate system that are, are really not very interested in, in, uh, in higher education, and that's okay. Uh, higher education isn't for everybody. Yeah. It, it may be better for, I mean, Kobe Bryant did a wonderful job of you know, skipping college, going straight to the NBA, and look at the career he had. Now, he's an extraordinary example. There aren't a whole lot of those, <laughs> but there are some. Yeah. And uh, if they had that opportunity, and, and uh, then, you know, I think that's fine. I don't think that damages college basketball one bit, personally. Yeah. Uh, so I'd like to see the one-and-done rule you know, done away with. Uh, even if it is simply, you know, you can't go, you can go after high school or you can go anytime else. I, I think that's better than what we have right now. Even though, from my perspective, I'd rather, <laughs> rather it be the baseball rule. Uh, so that's one. What, what we do during the summer is another in terms of the, 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 the camps and the opportunity for kids to be seen yeah. and therefore recruited and where can our coaches go, when can they go there, and who controls those camps. Uh, I, I think we may need to take more control of we, you know, collegiate athletics, and maybe it's in partnership with the NBA, maybe it's in partnership with the shoe companies, but... Uh, you know, I think I think a different approach needs to take place there, and uh, so those would be would be two right off the bat. A third, in my opinion, is that we, we uh, I think we need to modernize uh, our agent rules, uh, and by that I mean liberalize them some. Uh, I think we've got some rigid rules right now that. Uh, you know, don't really matter in the whole scheme of things, and I think we need to give our players the opportunity to, to get the right kind of advice uh, at various times in, in their collegiate career without without losing their eligibility. And uh, and that may mean, you know, giving them the opportunity to do some things and <clears throat> with agents. Uh, that gives them more of an opportunity to get the kind of information they should have and get it from the right kind of people instead of the wrong kind of people. And um, even to the point of possibly, you know, being going into the draft, maybe they're not drafted, let them come back as a possibility. You know, yeah. now I'm not quite there yet, but, you know, I think we need to really step, step back and take a look at, at uh, a, a real change that can better the 
the system, better the process, uh, better the opportunities for, for our players. Uh, and to understand if we went in this direction or that direction or what the unintended consequences would be because that, that can be the killer is when you don't see the unintended consequences. So uh, th this is an opportunity to, uh, to do that. When you look at, like you said, uh, having some opportunities to make some changes and do certain things and a former partnership with the NBA potentially and with the shoe companies and whatnot, you look at the autonomous five that you're a part of with the ACC, Pac-12 as well, the SEC, the Big Ten, and the Big 12. With that legal side of things and with the autonomy, do you look at something like this and, and the FBI probe and what's going on with the NCAA and ever think to yourself as a commissioner to sit down with the other commissioners of the Autonomous Five and say, maybe we need to form our own separate group that is just the five of us and that we don't function completely under the NCAA anymore. I mean, is there a thought of maybe we can handle it better? Maybe we need to just wipe the slate clean and, and start a new chapter? Do you ever look at something like that? Well, I, I think that's that's been lurking in, in, the, in the back <laughs> you know the, the the background uh, for for a while. I, I don't think we're there yet, uh, and and uh, I think the the adjustment in the NCAA structure uh, four years ago, five years ago, that brought us autonomy, gave us the opportunity to to really make some headway in some things, such as full cost of attendance. Four-year scholarships, uh, stronger uh, insurance programs for our athletes uh, at the, at the, uh, the Power Five level, if you're the Autonomy Five level, if you will. The the challenge in basketball is is trying to be uh, you know trying to be fair to some of the really outstanding basketball programs that are out there that are not part of the Power Five conferences. Uh, you know, there's a pretty distinct separation uh, in the sport of football uh, for, for, for a lot of reasons. Basketball, it's not, you don't quite have that same kind of distinction. I mean, you know, what, Villanova is a great example. I mean, it's one, one of the outstanding basketball programs in the country. What, what happens to a Villanova? If the Power Five goes off, you know, yeah. to accept just breaking it down, and there are others, you know, I, yeah, uh, that would fall into a similar category. Villanova is the most obvious, I guess, right now because of their current success, yeah, uh, as well as past success. I mean, that, that's not recent by any means. Uh, so basketball is a different animal than uh, than football, uh, and you'd have other examples in in other sports as well. So. Uh, I don't think any of us take lightly the, the thought of uh, going off in, in our own direction. I'm not saying that someday that maybe that happens, but I certainly I do not think that's imminent. Uh, coming from John Swafford, and John, outside of all of this, I want to do something really quick with you on the show that I call Rapid Fire to get to know you a little bit better. So I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions that have nothing to do with sports. Are you ready to play? <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Favorite movie of all time? Uh, Casablanca. If anybody could play you in a movie, what actor would you want to play you? Brad Pitt. 
<laughs> Favorite song of all time. Oh, good morning, Starshine. Favorite band. Chicago. If you weren't a commissioner, what would you be doing right now? I'd be a writer. For what? Uh, I don't know, but I'd be by a beach and I'd be writing <laughs> novels and probably not, probably novels, maybe some history. Three-part question. You can go anywhere in the world. Where do you go? You could take one person you know and you could take one celebrity. Where do you go? Who do you take that you know and what celebrity? Wow. Well, the person I would take would be my wife, Nora, <laughs> without question. Uh, where I would go... Monaco at the bottom of the Swiss Alps okay. and uh, who I would take with me. Does it have to be living? No. I guess it, it has to be living. <laughs> I guess now, gonna, yeah. going to go with me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hmm, I'll take Redford. Take Redford? Take Robert Redford. With okay. Me. All right. Friend at Wyham. I think he's a fascinating guy. He's got a lot of different interests and a thoughtful guy. And, uh, Obviously, very good at his craft. Two final questions. If wherever you walked, there was a quote that hung above your head that we could all see, what would you want that quote to be? The only constant in life is change. Embrace it. And finally, for you, what is one thing, if you had unlimited power, what's one thing that you would want to do to change this world in this moment? What was one thing that you would do, the first thing you would do? Declare peace. Fair enough, that's John Swafford. John, as always, I appreciate it. It's good to be with you, Dan.